Timelessness and operating outside of personality. Well, um, in timelessness, you are going to be moving through spaces and spheres that do not operate by time, which means that every moment is an eternal now. So this is hard to conceptualize, but you get it the minute that you're there. So once you're in this space, um, which is, you know, a mystical space where um, every, you know, every aspect of existence is all in one moment. Um, and so all of these timelines, they're not relevant in that way that they are to us as we exist through time and exist in a timeline. None of these things are relevant in timelessness. In timelessness, you are also dealing with things that are eternal, things that are immortal, things that exist beyond time. And so operating outside of personality is when a soul achieves the ability to detach from the role that they are playing upon the earth, which is a fragmented personality. They're able to detach from that and enter into an eternal role and operate from there and not from the personality. So they can set aside the structures that hold together the personality, the beliefs, the systems, the personality, the, the entire program that the soul carries as that one person in time. And they're able to operate outside of that. Usually this is done mystically or in an out-of-body travel experience type way, but there are souls who achieve this ability um, while still in their physical awaking form. And those are the ones we call masters, you know, who are able to completely detach from personality and operate from the eternal. So what is the value of absolute poverty and annihilation? Um, well, it depends on what context that you're asking that about. So are we still in the mechanics of existence? We are, but we're coming to. Yeah. Right. So the, the, val the value, you're talking about the valley of absolute poverty and the, annihilation? The value. The value of it? <laughs> the okay. The value in the valley. Of well, there's both. <laughs> Um, you know, the valley of absolute poverty and annihilation is the state, this is, you know, this is actually um, something that was um, laid out by Baha'u'llah, the prophet of the Baha'i faith. Um, it's the station of dying from the self and living through God. Every religion has this concept. Um, it's, they just call it something different. But in... Um, in Baha'u'llah's words, when a sincere lover and agreeable friend attains to the meeting of the beloved and desired one, a fire is enkindled from the radiance of the beauty of the beloved and the heart of the lover, which consumes all coverings and veils. 
So what is the value of that, Brian? The value of that is that all that is irrelevant, all that is unnecessary, all that is frivolous is burned away as dross in the fire of love that we have towards the beloved, the great lover, God, our, our eternal love. You know, the, the goal of every mystic um, and in every mystical text that you will read, no matter what religion, is that they are seeking this union with God. And they often speak of it as a lover seeking their beloved. You see this in the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament. This is Baha'u'llah, who you know is a Baha'i mystic. You'll see it in the writings of the Sufis to a profound degree. The bridal mystics cover this um, in a very, very sensual way. Some people have had difficulty understanding, well, what, why is it spoken of like this? And it's, well, because the, you know, who, who is, first of all, who is love? God. Who created love? It's God. And so the, the very journey of the, of the lover seeking the one that they love to the greatest height of ecstasy and oneness and union. That journey is unequivocally shown to be there in every tradition, spiritual tradition around the world mystically because this is what mystics are seeking is this union with God. We don't realize that um, the unity that we can experience on earth is just like many things in creation itself is a, uh, is a model a, um, a different, smaller model of the greater model from which it sprung, from where it began, from where it, whence it was born. And so that's what bridal mysticism is, is that every mystic is seeking that divinity, that divine union with God, because there is no ecstasy or bliss that is greater than this. And so it's a mystical union. It is a mystical union. However, when the lover or the mystic reaches this union, you will see that they carry this with them, even when they're in the physical, much of the time. Not all the time, because we also know that there are dark periods, there are dry periods that are normal parts of the mystical and spiritual life that everyone will experience as well. But part of that journey is this union. And again, that's where, that's where the hammer of mysticism is leading. It's leading the soul to this oneness, this, um, let me get the right wording, 
that we put the unit of consciousness. This is the ultimate union with the ultimate lover. And, you know, for those who are uncomfortable with that, I want you to deal with it because this is what you have to really go for and understand is mysticism is about reaching more and more deeply into this deep loving heart of God. That is why it's called ecstasy, samadhi, bliss. You know, um, there are aspects of the journey that can be compared, and this is by the whole book Song of Solomon is about, you know, to the, to the uh, uninitiated reader, it reads as if it's about a, a man pursuing the great love of his life. To the initiated reader, it reads as though the soul is pursuing the great God of all creation, the one great love affair between God and man, the great journey that we are all on, which literally confounds, defines, and opens up the meaning of all these other aspects of our existence, all our other relationships, when we seek out this union first. Because we don't understand, we don't know what love actually is, until we know what love is in God. We understand different lower forms of love that are tainted with karmic issues and um, limitations and um, cultural and other biases and restrictions and things that are placed upon human beings by the nature of our misunderstandings. But we only truly know what love is when we know God, because God is love. And when we want to take a soul to understand this, I want people to understand that everyone says God is love. But I want you to understand what I'm taking you further than that. God is love. He is that. He is the very emanation of love. And for us to fully understand how love in its purest and perfect emanation exists and may be manifest, we have to experience it from God. And when we do, it completely transforms everything else. And so if we allow it to. If we allow it to. 
<laughs> okay, so in regards to mystical theology, how do we use that in relation to mystical union? Mystical theology is, is a fantastic tool because mystical theology is basically the science of the soul. It is the science of the purification of the soul. It's, you know, it's the way and the means by which we can learn to identify and examine our own soul. And it takes us much deeper, much quicker. We accelerate the process because it's, it's like, uh, if you, if you, because you are literally, I used to um, crack jokes with my kids about talking to my dead friends because <laughs> that I'm talking to, when I'm reading the Ascent of Mount Carmel, I'm talking to St. John of the Cross. When I'm reading the Way of Perfection, I'm talking to St. Teresa of Avila. You know, when we are reading books like one of my favorites that I talk about a lot, The Spiritual Life by Father Adolf Tanqueray, you have these people who are deceased from this realm, but whose living words still remain. And we are literally sitting face to face with these masters as they hone in on what we need to look at. And they help us to go through the purification process piece by piece, bit by bit, and they take us up those stairs. So let's, um, let's get into some tools a little bit here. So in regards, how do you um, delineate between lucid dreaming and astral travel? And um, let's also talk a little bit about surrendering to the eternal when we okay. are doing astral travel and lucid dreaming. Okay. Well, with, um, um, I'm going to change your question just a little, just because um, you know, we've talked about astral travel versus out-of-body travel before. Astral travel is third and fourth realm travel primarily. Out-of-body travel involves multidimensional travel. You're, you're not just dealing with the astral realm, you're traveling in any of the infinite numbers of realms. And so what is the difference between lucid dreaming and out-of-body travel? Lucid dreaming is dreaming. There is sometimes what I would call an element of a spiritual dream. So it's important. People know when they're having an important spiritual dream. And when you have one, you should take note, write it down and, you know, write in your journal or however you do that. Um, the difference is when you have a fully conscious out-of-body experience, you will know it and you won't have to ask anybody whether or not you had one because it's that, that powerfully conscious. Um, a lot of people will have experiences that will start happening where they may start having instructive spiritual dreams. And they may not go over to the fully conscious out-of-body experiences right away. Sometimes maybe not at all. And that's okay, because if however you're being instructed is instructing you and helping you to move forward, you go with that and you trust that. Um, so, it, you know, the form, the tool isn't, isn't the truth. The truth is the truth. So however the truth is delivered to you, whether it's by a lucid or spiritual dream 
or through a fully conscious out-of-body experience, it is of equal value. And, you know, there are reasons why we may, you know, may be given things at different levels of consciousness. There's always, uh, some people are going to be, are going to do better to not have the experience in a fully conscious way. And so we trust our spiritual teachers with that. They know what we can handle and we trust that. And we can continue striving towards becoming more and more conscious, but um, we don't need to focus on that being the end all because literally the, um, the vehicle, out of body travel or dreaming is a vehicle. It is a vehicle to attain to the truth. As long as you are being instructed, um, it doesn't matter what the vehicle is, just, you know, just receive the instruction. So with lucid dreaming, uh, with my experience, whenever, and even the books that I read about it, it is like kind of like becoming active in your dreams. Yes. So the last part of that question was surrendering our will to the eternal because Yes. Lucid okay. dreaming, if we're just, you know, like, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go over here and then, hey, that looks kind of cool over there. And then we're missing, you know, because there's a fine line. Yes, we are there. We can make choices, but also being, what kind of advice do you have for people in regards to walking that fine line between being open to eternal guidance and not just making it about self-will? Well, you know, there will be times when you will be directed or not directed to just do something of your own accord try to control something yourself but for the most part the 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 initiate is going to do the best by surrendering to the will of god and allowing the spiritual teachers to direct your experience because you do not know um what you need to learn or what you need to see and we don't even know what is the next initiation that we actually need you know so we are relying on them to take us to the next level if we relied on ourselves to do that we would probably not get there because we don't even know what it is most of the time <laughs> there's a couple of books that you mentioned one in this chapter was the Kabbalion. the Kabbalion, uh, yeah okay Kabbalion. can you um just um touch upon that book a little bit and then also the book of enoch which oh, sure. Yeah. So um, the Kabbalion is an ancient book of hermetic teachings. And it's, um, it's not a, a really long book, but it has, it's considered a pivotal, important ancient hermetic text. Um, and so it has some like, it's kind of like a mix between Kabbalistic and hermetic teachings. The, the book of Enoch is one of my favorites because Enoch walked with God and anyone who walked with God is someone I want to listen to what they have to say. But of course, in the book of Enoch, he had these um, profound visions, mystical experiences, out-of-body experiences where he was taken to the heavens, hells, and purgatories and shown all of these uh things many details about you know the the way that the heights worked the way that the valleys worked and the way that the lower regions worked that is um something that all of us can benefit from uh he had very extended 
apocalyptic type visions into these realms and about you know good and evil and um, the places that he called the valleys which in some respects is a little bit like purgatory but still different as well you know from what many of us have experienced okay great yeah and i'm sure we might touch upon those later on <laughs> um, but you know there's a lot of um modalities out there like uh, reiki and akadawa and um, many you know wonderful um healing uh, modalities and so a lot often you'll get attuned to these right yes. the mentorship level or whatever so um you you talked about in this chapter about energetic attunements and also influx Mm -hmm. I wonder if you can touch upon those. Well, energetic attunements are similar to what you're referring to, and that's true. Like in Reiki, you'll go through attunements, except in the initiations, you're going to go through attunements that are um, specific to whichever process you're going through at the time. So you're going to be get, receiving these in the spirit world through different processes. Um, the other one was what was it attunements and then the other one influx influx yeah you're going to experience um influxes and inflows of various types of energies that you either need to process through your spiritual body or that you need to um integrate into your spiritual body and sometimes it's stuff that you need to learn how to read um, you need to learn to read these energetic influxes because you're going to start utilizing this in terms of reading souls, reading, reading uh, the types of things that you pick up from people's energy. There's a whole bunch of reasons for these influxes. Sometimes you're going to go through influxes that are going to actually be giving you an influx of something that you need to discard, and you're just going to get an influx more of it than you like so that you really get why you need to get rid of the, that energy and then you're you're like creating an impetus to get rid of it so so you can feel that this is a really negative thing you don't want to hold on to it even if it is just this much you know what i mean mm -hmm. and so you're going to have a variety of reasons for it but especially during the initiations there'll be influxes and inflows of energy um, to teach, guide, instruct, you have to learn how to process, integrate, reform, and also push out. Okay, so when you get over to this side of the screen, then your audio kind of goes Which out. Side? Just, Which uh, side? Yeah, right where you're at right now, closer to Jesus. Just get okay. closer to Jesus. Stay, I'll stay close. Stay I can do that. Buddha. And Buddha. <laughs> so also, so what you're talking about with these attunements and these influxes so when we're going through atonements and um resolutions to those atonements then it makes us um more open to these influxes yes 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 because you know we go through atonements which are where we uh, where we experience other events in our lives with other people that need resolution they're not necessarily huge um, purification events but they need to happen and um, and we need to get those taken care of and moved out of the way we can even think of it as like the intestines 
a little bit. Yeah. See a little blockage here or there. And it might not seem <laughs> very significant, but one little thing can block the flow of energy. Yes, it can. Absolutely. Now, in regards to energy, uh, well, so can you tell me uh, a little bit about fluid, energetic, and conscious recall? Uh, fluid, energetic, and conscious, conscious recall. recall. Yes. So when you're dealing with conscious recall, well, I'm going to go backwards just like you did. <laughs> so conscious recall, you're, you're just um, able to, on a conscious level, recall uh, things that are necessary to recall. Um, then there are souls who will be able to touch into an energetic stream of recall. Um, and then the fluid recall is something that is a, an even a more heightened sense of recall, which is going to happen in higher grade initiation, where the soul is able to almost like flow like a river through the, the stream of, of the, you know, humankind's memories. Um, so you want to be able to, to uh, you want to be as close to the fluid as you possibly can, because this is where you're moving with all levels of recall. Conscious is kind of blocking you in, where you're only remembering certain things. There is conscious recall in terms of, okay, if someone's remembering certain things in the mystical sphere, that can be conscious recall, that's good. But when you're talking about conscious versus energetic versus fluid recall, the fluid recall is going to be the most heightened. Energetic is someone who's able to bring things energetically back. A fluid recall is someone who's kind of like always in the stream. You know, and so th th those are the ways you, you want to be moving towards where you're able to uh, stay in that stream of consciousness that allows for fluid recall. Okay, so you talked about um, in this chapter, uh, mediators and mystics funneling higher potential through zero point energy. And so I'm just curious, what does that mean? Uh, zero point energy and funneling these higher potentialities. Well, let me just make sure we're talking about the same thing. Because um, I want to funnel higher potentials through zero point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what I meant was, you know, a zero point energy point is when, um, and I'm going to speak about this in the mystical sense, try to bring in the quantum understanding of it, which will be, you know, different because I'm a mystic, not a scientist, but um, zero point energy is when the energy reaches the lowest possible point, like a vacuum has sucked the energy out of a space. Uh, in the mystical sphere, when, um, when all the energy has been sucked out of a space, that's when creation becomes possible because you've removed all of the uh, uh, elements that are filling up the space that would uh, resist a new creation. 
when that when that energy is cleared out that's when you would um bring in a new construct mm -hmm. so you had mentioned the zero point energy but what was it in relation to it again i'm trying to make sure i'm on the funneling, same funneling higher potentials right so that's what it is that you would be funneling higher potentials into that that momentary vacuum and so you're you're taking advantage of this moment where you've cleared out the energies that are of the old and you're filling it with higher potential energy with the hope that it will take hold in that soul and bring them to a birth point of higher consciousness it kind of reminds me of the quote by suzuki about the beginner's mind mm -hmm. <laughs> having that zero point you know just like okay i'm totally open man bring it in <laughs> but if it's like if it's not at zero point and you know it's filled up with all this stuff it's like not as much stuff can get in well what happens is it's just like if you're if you're looking at let's just say a swimming pool and if it's full of water it's hard to introduce an entirely different substance but if the pool is empty and you want to introduce a completely different liquid form then you can because it, there is nothing to fill that space. But when the space is filled with the old, it is harder to introduce something that will be new without it just being overcrowded and it just becomes a kind of a, you know, uh, cacophony. Mm -hmm. You see? Yep. So this is interesting. Sub, uh, subconscious realm of man has 12 great centers of action and 12 presiding entities or egos and so when i read that i'm like okay i'm gonna have to ask marilyn about that <laughs> and where are you now let's see where you're at you're in chapter one right i'm still we're still in um i believe we're in the the uh, mechanics of existence but it might not be it's, it seems okay. like because we did touch upon lucid dreaming and astral travel and so i would think that we'd be in chapter one mechanics of out-of-body travel but um i didn't write it down in my notes to delineate that so i'm not exactly sure but whatever okay. it was that we just talked about it's next so everything okay. i ask you is mostly in order mostly in order okay all right so tell me that again tell me that again what? <laughs> Mostly except backwards because we're starting at the end and going to the beginning. So, um, sub subconscious realm of man has twelve great centers of action, and twelve presiding entities or egos. Mm -hmm. Okay. So twelve great centers of action, twelve presiding entities or egos. Okay. So let me just, uh, since you don't know where you are, let me pull this file up and do a search real quick. Okay. <laughs> um, it's interesting though that it's um, 12 because there's also 12 powers of mind and gateways. Oh yeah, 12 is a significant number. There's 12 disciples, there's 12 tribes of Israel, there's 12 all sorts of things, you know? And so that is uh, something we find. There's also the 12 is in relation to the ethers, the spheres, and the emanations as well. 
And um, so all of these are relevant. Um, uh, let's see. Okay. Okay, and so this is coming from a quote from Charles Fillmore in 1930. And ironically, here we go, it's talking about the same things that I was talking, you know, so uh, subconscious realm in man has 12 great centers of action with 12 residing egos. And when Jesus had attained a certain soul development, he called his 12 apostles to him. What he says here, this means that when man is developing out of mere personal consciousness into spiritual consciousness, he begins to train deeper and larger powers. He sends his thought down into the inner centers of his organism and through his word quickens them to life. Remember we talked yesterday about the word and what that really means. So here he's talking about how his word quickened them to life. Where before his powers have worked in the personal, now they begin to expand and work in the universal. Does this make sense to you? Yeah. And so, uh, ironically, that this is the first and the second coming of Christ as spoken of in the scriptures. The first is receiving the truth in the conscious mind. The second is the awakening and the regeneration of the subconscious mind through the superconscious or Christ mind. So this is Charles Fillmore and uh, 1930, the 12 powers of man. And so he's speaking of these deeper recesses of the soul where um, all of these elements are delineated into the 12. I'm trying to figure out why my video is now minimized and I can't see you. So let's see, what would have caused that? Huh, so would it be this? That worked, okay, so, so he's speaking of there being these 12 centers and there's 12 egos. Again, this reflects back to vices and different things. You know, we know that we talk about this, the, seven primary virtues and vices overall but in reality there is a whole kit and caboodle of work that we can do through mystical theology on vices and virtues we talked about natural and supernatural virtues um, uh, in our previous discussion that um, these are now just being further delineated by him to show that we have these 12 different centers of ego that the man will now have to then conquer to re reach all these different um, spiritual attainments. And um, so we are, um, we're gonna be conquering these egos through the initiations. So is like the 12 egos the same as the 12 powers of the mind? Um, no, I, I mean, there probably would be 12 powers of the mind, but the 12 egos would be things that define, they're defined by, you know, an ego is a false self. 
It is a self that is identified with a personality, a self that is identified oftentimes with a misperception, um, something that is false. So these 12 egos wouldn't be powers of the mind. They would actually be um, inhibitors, you know, but the natural man would see them very possibly as powers of himself. The supernatural man would look at them as impediments, as things that must be understood, overcome, and overturned. Because the egos cannot survive the initiations into the mysteries. They, they have to be transformed entirely. So we are definitely in chapter one. <laughs> Out of body travel, the mechanics of body travel. Because I'm looking at the next things. Um, can we talk about gateways, corridors, multi-dimensional portals, and vortexes of energy? Starting sure. With, starting with gateways and corridors. Well, you're going to have, ironically, a lot of those things um, on your list. These are all methods and modes of travel in the initiations into the mysteries. So gateways, corridors. Uh, gateways are more likely to appear in the sky above you. Corridors are going to more likely be various types of tunnels. Um, go ahead and tell me the, some of the others there. Um, we have multi-dimensional portals. Multi-dimensional portals can literally be things that are almost invisible to the naked eye, but if you just slip from one spot to the next, you're going to be traveling into a multi-dimensional portal. Um, those can be anywhere. They can be in the physical realm as well. People have them in different places. Um, these are all modes of travel through the initiations into the mysteries. Go ahead. Vortexes of energy. Vortexes are uh, places you will travel through quite a bit because you're going to be traveling through vortexes not only to receive of uh, the energies, but also to get from one point A to point B to point C to point D. There's a lot of vortexes that you'll be moving through, especially during the initiations. Time tunnels. Time tunnels will take you forward, backwards, um, through time, and also into parallel realities. How does that um, connect with time continuums? Time tunnels and time continuums. Well, the time continuums are a little more complex, you know, um, because um, time travel is pretty straightforward in, in that, you know, we move before, before, behind, and sideways through time, but time continuums can then emerge from any of those points. So uh, time continuums uh literally exists in every potentiality within the universe so there is so uh, you know i like to use the word infinite a lot but there's an infinite number of possibilities and therefore there's an infinite number of time continuums but you can actually end up in a in a time continuum um, and if you do then you're you're following one particular strand one particular strand of time and how that particular strand is going to play out. You're going to find, though, as you travel through the initiations, you'll be traveling through multiple strands more often 
than just time continuums. But the continuums will serve different purposes because sometimes you're gonna buck from one, continu one continuum to another so that you can, um, you know, go from one into another, into another, into another, because there's a sequence of events that you need to observe in order to go through some type of initiation. And so these kinds of things can also occur. Mm -hmm.